John chapter 10. We've been taking some fairly sizable chunks uh, as our sermon texts in, our, in the Gospel of John, but here we have uh, two, next two weeks to deal with uh, John chapter 10. As we'll see in a wee second, though, the interesting thing is we might as well have added uh, John 10, 1 to 20 on to the back of our John 9 sermon. Uh, that would have been a long one. Um, but it would have been good because they, they are so, so tied together uh, and so connected as we will see. But what we'll do tonight is we're going we're to read from John chapter 10 verses, uh, cha- verses 1 to 21. And just before we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our great God and Saviour, our prayer is simple. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word and change us in light of those things that we see in Jesus' name. Amen. So John 10, verse 1 and following. Jesus is speaking here. Uh, He has just healed the blind man and has just gone and found this blind man uh, between verses 35 and 41 of John 9. And he has encouraged the blind man to believe in the Son of Man. The blind man says, or the blind man who can now see says, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Pharisees, religious leaders, the pastors, the shepherds of the day are listening in. And they ask him in verse 40, What are we blind to? Jesus says, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And then the conversation follows on verse 1 of John 10. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. 
I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Amen. I found some personal delight in one of my daughter, who is two and a half, nearly three, uh, some delight in one of her CBeebies magazines recently. As I was flicking through, she loves playing with stickers, so she, there's always a little bit in the middle where there's some stickers. You take them out and you start putting in them in the right places and uh, flicked over the page and there it was, taking me years back to my childhood, spot the difference pictures. It was a delight. She loved it, which is even more of a delight. You know what it's like when you have your, you have two pictures that look kind of similar placed alongside each other, but yet there are, there are normally between five and ten things that are different, and it's your job to spend a long time for some of us trying to find some of these differences, the discrepancies between the two pictures. I feel that what we have here really in relation to our text in John 10, particularly verses 1 to 21, even as a unit as it is, is we have something of a spot the difference. And that, uh, 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 the picture of Jesus as a good shepherd is laid alongside the picture of the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those pastors, those uh, in charge of God's flock at that time as they saw it. You have these two together, and it's a case of spot the difference. And I think that the passage that was read to us uh, earlier from the Old Testament uh, really serves us very, very well as we come to understand this text and understand what's been happening in John 9, what we understand is happening now in John 10 as Jesus claims to be the good shepherd. And it's that Ezekiel 34 passage, isn't it? You might do well to flick back there for a wee second. You have basically in verses 1 to 10 of Ezekiel chapter 34 some really terrible indicting words from from God Almighty on those who claim to be the shepherds of Israel. So the pastors and teachers of the day who were supposed to be caring for the flock. And there are some pretty harsh words in here, aren't they? Woe to you who only look, take, after, take care of yourselves. You do not care for the flock. You've not brought back strays. You've not searched for the lost. They were scattered. They became food for animals. And I think this is exactly the kind of thing that we are being led to see by, by the Apostle John as he writes out this, this account, this true story of the life of Jesus Christ. Laying out these religious leaders who are essentially mistreating the people that they are supposed to be caring for. Here is a man in John 9 who, is, who, has, just been, who has been blind from birth. 
and who is who comes before them really hoping that some other people are actually going to be sharing in his joy at this this new miracle where he has been given sight to behold things around him for the very first time in his life and yet what does he see he 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 he, he just sees these religious leaders rejecting him stealing his joy from him killing any hope that he might have for for something of a life now, destroying him by putting him out of the synagogue, leaving him really as good as dead. That's what we see in these religious leaders. And then here comes Jesus, who I think reflects what we see indeed, and the, the, what we see in the Ezekiel 34, verse 11 and following the rest of the passage, where we see the good shepherd, The shepherd of God's flock par excellence. First person language in here as well. God is saying, I myself will care for my sheep. I myself will search for my sheep. I will look after them. I will rescue them. I will gather them. I will pasture them. I'll judge between one sheep and the other. I will place over them, in verse 23 of Ezekiel 34 as well, very important, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. I will be their God and make a covenant of peace. You get what God's saying in there, don't you? I'm the good shepherd. And I am sending my servant who will shepherd the flock rightly. What that means then is that when we come to John chapter 10 and we hear Jesus saying, that he, as he tells the truth, <laughs> whereas he says, I am the good shepherd, I think that in there we have to see there is an explicit claim to two things. An explicit claim in the first instance to be the one that God promised hundreds of years before to send, to be the rescuer of a lost and a broken people who are scattered, even though they're together as a nation, They're not really together. They are a scattered flock. And they are at risk from wolves who will devour them. He is the promised one. He is the forever king that has been promised by God Almighty. But secondly, he is also. He's not just saying that he's going to be the far better shepherd, leader, or pastor. He is claiming truly to be God himself. I think to understand John 10, we need to understand just a little bit about what what picture we have before us of of what it means to be a shepherd, really, in those times. I don't know about you, when I was thinking in my study this week, I was thinking, okay, what do I think of when I think of shepherds and sheep? Well, I tend to think of, well, Land Rovers, really, and little black and white dogs, really. I don't don't think that's quite the picture that we have from from first century Palestine at all, do we? Let's have this uh, first picture on screen. I think this provides... Something uh, of an illustration for us of, uh, look at that. Look at that. Took me ages. I think this is the kind of thing that we're supposed to see, okay? What you have here, this blue box here is essentially a pen, okay? A sheep pen. And what there tended to be over here on the right-hand side, there's a gap in there, okay? Where sometimes there was a gate, an actual gate that was in there. And what you have in each, uh, what it tended to be in the case of these sheep pens in villages... Um, there were many flocks who were all herded together actually in the one pen at night and there was a watchman who was there 
And I think that we'll, get, we'll see what will happen here later. Obviously, there's Jesus. He is the good shepherd. You see that? He has the staff. Okay, just me that gets that. Um, and the man climbing over the wall, clearly, um, is a bad guy. Uh, the thieves and the robbers. Uh, and as we'll get to later on, Jesus has a view to call those who are not even of this sheep pen. He is speaking specifically of the nation of Israel in this first instance. So what, what I want us to see is Jesus comes and claims to be the good shepherd. I think there are three particular things that we should be looking for in here. And number one in verses, if you're taking notes, this will be helpful for you to, to look at. Number one, uh, verses one to six, Jesus knows his own people. It's one of the traits of a good shepherd. Number two in verses seven to ten, Jesus nurtures his own people. And number three, so importantly, uh, 11 and following, Jesus dies for his own people. So let's look at number one. Jesus knows his own people. And again, here's the compare and contrast. Now here's the spot, the difference uh, that we have before us. We have bad shepherds and good shepherds. Verse one, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. A thief, someone who, whose action really betrays something of an evil intent. He does not have good in mind for the sheep at all. He, a thief, obviously, is someone who uh, takes something that doesn't belong to them for personal gain. And, and really, this is what Jesus is accusing the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day of. He uses the word robber as well. It's, it's slightly different from a thief. It's someone who, who will take something, just like the thief would, but to do so forcibly or with violence. So all in all, the picture of the thieves and the robbers that are before us, these religious leaders of Israel, is not a good picture, is it, at all? It's people who have in mind their own personal gain. They want to take these sheep and use them in whatever way they want. But Jesus, Jesus, he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. He knows his sheep well, knows each one even by name. As I mentioned before, there is, there is a common pen and there are uh, many sheep from different, owned by different shepherds uh, gathered into this one pen. But what we see in, in John 10, the kind of shepherd that Jesus is, he comes and, it's, he comes and approaches and he is allowed to approach. It's an appropriate approach. He does not intend harm for the sheep or the, the watchman would not be opening the gate for him uh, as we see in verse 3. He has an approach and what the shepherds did in those days was, this, was that, uh, I mean you come, I, I don't know what you would do if I was coming to a sheep pen, okay, and say there were even three families in there with 20 sheep each, you know, 60 sheep. Just, I, I don't know, how would you differentiate they tended not to mark their sheep at that time. But there were two things. Well, one, this, the shepherd knew his sheep so intimately, he would be able to spot his own sheep on his own. But one of the most interesting things, I think, that we see from, from the way they shepherded sheep back then is that the, the shepherd would, would not even bother going into the pen and saying, is that mine? You know, is, is that mine? It would be the case where they would stand just outside the entrance and they would speak. Even by speaking to the watchman, his own sheep would hear his voice and would recognize who he is. 
And then he would call them, of course. He knows his sheep. And he calls his sheep. He calls them by their names. You know, this isn't just some flock before him for slaughter. He's not just thinking mint sauce. You know, we need some mint sauce to go with these little sheep here. He is, he is thinking, well, th- these are my livelihood for life, really. I mean, they kept them for wool. They kept them for, so they could make clothing and other fabrics and so on. Knew his sheep intimately. Knew them by name. And they know him, verse 3 and verse 4 say this, they know his voice. And when he speaks, when he calls their names, they come out. They come out to him. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? I would love to have seen that. The, the, the thing that I think is closest to that, uh, in terms of an illustration, I don't know if, if you have been downstairs after a morning service, down in the down, downstairs, in the lower hall. There are quite a few children running about. And there are, there are, all of these children are all just enjoying themselves, making lots of noise and, uh, and calling out and alongside all of the children speaking and, and shouting out, you have the adults who are down there who are enjoying their conversation as well. Now, I, I, think it's, I think it's quite a cool thing. I quite enjoy the fact that if I'm down there amid the whole noise of everything that's going on, whether it's the adults speaking or whether it's 30 or 40 children shouting out and so on, one or two crying, things like that, that happens. If my little girl shouts out, or if my little girl cries... Uh, automatically, it's like my antenna. I don't have antenna, but you know what I mean. You know, what's wrong? You, you'll know what that's like. I'm sure many of you will know what that's like. And I think that's the sense that we have here. When Jesus comes as a good shepherd, he calls his sheep. He knows them by name. He calls them. And they truly hear his voice. And they respond. He knows his sheep. He calls out to his sheep and then amazingly leads his sheep. Again, whenever we think, or whenever I think of, of shepherds herding their sheep, we tend to think of them uh, doing so from, uh, from behind the sheep, moving them forward and herding them so that if they're going off in that direction, they send their dog around and so on and make sure that they're going straight and going to the, uh, into the place where they, would, where they are supposed to be going, the direction in which they are supposed to be going. But in these days, the shepherds walked ahead of the flock not behind. And I think that's an amazing picture for us of the good shepherd who, even in relation to the Ezekiel 34 passage, the one who who is going before, in a sense, looking for danger, checking the trails, finding the right places for pasture. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like the, the fields and grassy lands that we have around about us, around this city, no, it was, it was hard to find some good grazing land at times in, in some of these dry and arid places. But the shepherd would go out in front and, and lead, looking for danger, checking the trail, finding the place to pasture, always leading from the front. And every place the sheep went, he had already been. And I think that's a precious thought for us, a precious picture of what Jesus Christ does for each and every one of us. In the most simplest of terms, really, this is what Jesus is doing in the world. This is his business, if you like. This is what he is about coming to, calling out, and leading on. 
people for himself, preparing the way for them, checking the trail for them, knowing that every place that we who put our faith and trust in Jesus will go, he has already been before. It's not hard to see the reason why the Bible, and in this particular piece of imagery in John 10, Jesus uses sheep to illustrate humans. They're not very clever animals. They're rather dim-witted. But all in all, they're really quite helpless. They can find themselves wandering off without any real difficulty. They won't even wander off in good directions. You know, they'll go to one place. They'll have some good pasture. You would think that a sheep would might think, well, if I'm going to wander off, I'm going to go back to the place where there's still some of that good pasture. They're not even that bright to be able to do that. And have you ever heard of a sheep being cast down? It's a bizarre thing. I saw this once up in, uh, when I was in Fife, actually. That sheep like to have a little rest at times, as we all do. But what they like to do is if they do... Uh, on odd occasions when they do actually lie down what they like to do is find a little indentation in the ground and you know that, that they can just you know you know what it's like you, you just find yourself in a comfy bit of your couch and you just kind of snuggle in a little bit more I think this is what they tend to do in this little indentation they make themselves a little bit comfier and maybe as they're just drifting off to sleep a little bit they just stretch out their legs a little bit and then next thing you know the sheep is, is actually a little bit more onto its back and then legs up in the air, just like, you know, and do you know a sheep is so stupid and utterly helpless, it cannot even get itself up? And if a shepherd doesn't come and help it, do you know what happens to the sheep? It dies. It's, I mean, it's just ridiculous. They are, they are that helpless. And I think we are pictured in that same way. Not necessarily because we lack intelligence, but I think because Jesus knows the extent of our spiritual helplessness and the tendency of our hearts towards a a spiritual wandering and waywardness. That's why he is calling out a people for for his own. And that's a phrase that's used very much in there. He knows his sheep. He is calling out his sheep. He's calling them out to be a people for his own because he's doing something with these sheep. He's forming them to be a fold, a flock who will glorify his name that he will tend and care for, not just in this life, but forever. As our great shepherds. And he leads them, us, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus onto life in its fullness. And I love that, that he goes before to prepare a place. He'll talk about that in John 14 when we get there. But I love that thought that when you, when you follow Jesus, it doesn't just give you a map and say, get on with it. You know, it doesn't give you sat-nav to get to glory. And he gives you himself. He gives you himself. That's a precious thought. As he comes and he says to those he calls, under my leadership, you will find care, You'll find protection. You'll find safety. You'll find protection. Under my leadership, you will find life in all its fullness. This is what we see in verses 7 to 10. Number two, 
Jesus nurtures his own people. This could be confusing, this, because in verses 7 to 10, the metaphor changes slightly. Jesus, who is the shepherd in verses 1 to 6, is now also the gate for the sheep. In verses 7 to 10, you see, how can Jesus be both the shepherd and the gate in this illustration? Well, Jesus is kind of twin-tracking his initial illustration to point out just how significant it is that we enter through him into the fold that he is talking about. Let me explain. Sometimes in those days, again, when a shepherd would take his flock away from a town, which they often did, away from that common pen, to graze on some higher ground or further further from home than usual, they would have to settle down for the night, and the shepherd would have to try and get some rest. Now, the sheep would wonder if he fell asleep, so what he does is he builds a pen either from some rocks and some bricks round about or from, from some, uh, using some thorny bushes, which tended to be around in those days, uh, in those areas. And what he would do is he would lead the sheep then into that uh, homemade pen, if you like, for the night. And then he, the shepherd himself, would actually lie down across the threshold of this little enclosure so that no sheep would get out without him knowing about it and in that sense Jesus is the gate and in that sense he is both the shepherd and the gate but again I think that what Jesus is doing in this in, uh, as he explains obviously the situation at the end of uh, verse 6 uh, Jesus used this figure of speech about being the shepherd but they did not understand what he was telling them therefore Jesus said again so he's entering into another illustration to help these people see exactly what's going on He highlights for us the bad shepherds again mentioned, thieves and robbers in verse 7. Jesus continuing to spot the difference, but he goes in a little bit more detail to explain to us to what to expect from bad shepherds. Look with me at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy all they do steal kill destroy stealing for personal gain killing has those (laughs) the obvious connotations of taking life destroy even even taking that killing to the fullest extent they will consume they will only consume what they can and they will take life by pleasing themselves thief comes only to steal kill and destroy but then here's a spot the difference again here's the good shepherd look again at verse 10 i have come that they may have life and have it to the full so where the 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 thieves the bad shepherds have been coming to take life by pleasing themselves the good shepherd comes to give self in order to give life It's completely different. It's completely opposite. And he comes to give us life in the fool. He explains that that is why he came. This is why he is calling out a people to give us truly life. What is life? We think it's so many different things. I've had conversations even today just exploring with people, well, what is life? And what is it to have security and satisfaction and delight and joy and and happiness and peace in life where is that found how do we find it where should we go what should we read who should we listen to 
Well, Jesus says, come to him. He's told us this is the very reason why he has come. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I think so many people understand his promise the other way around, don't you? Some people are convinced that if if Jesus is your shepherd, your life will be wrecked and the best thing you can do is avoid him because he actually comes just to kill your fun and destroy any prospect of life. But it's so, so far from true. Jesus for us really explains, I suppose in two main ways in this little section, what life to the full involves. Life to the full first involves safety in Christ. Verse 9, I am the gate Whoever enters through me will be saved. You'll be kept from harm. Not protected like you're in some kind of spiritual bubble so that nothing of the earth that is evil or bad can can lay hold of you. Not true. But you are saved and kept safe and secure to the extent that even if the worst thing that, that life, this life can throw at you, that is death. comes you still have life that's what John's gospel is all about that you may have life in all its fullness eternal life by believing in his name the name of Jesus Christ the good shepherd but life to the full involves true safety and security in Jesus Christ we don't need to look for security in an increased bank balance or or a bigger house with more rooms or I don't know provision for your children add in anything you want into that the thing that perhaps is prioritized in your mind just now life to the full involves safety in Christ for those who truly enter through him Jesus is opening up the very plainly for us the truth that the only way to life the only way to know real life eternal life is through him he's the gate there's no other way Well, Liam, that sounds rather exclusive. Jesus sounds exclusive. Because he is the good shepherd. Not one of a number of good shepherds. He is the good shepherd. We must come to God the Father through him. Life to the full involves safety in Christ. Life to the full involves satisfaction in him. See the second part of verse 9. He, that is, the he who has entered through Christ will come in and go out and find pasture. You will be provided for. The Lord will truly take care of you, will nourish you in every respect, providing for you, most importantly, spiritually, through the nourishment that we have in the food of his word, which fills our hearts and builds us up. Strong in the Lord. And more and more like Jesus every day. We must enter through him. What are you looking for for safety and security? We need to be careful who we follow. We need to be careful who we follow. Because quite often what we do when we pursue these other things, these things other than Jesus Christ, is that we follow the ways of the world that will lead us essentially down the path of destruction. The same kind of destruction that the thieves and the robbers bring. 
we tend so often, people of this city tend so often to look for care and nourishment and leadership in all the wrong places. And, and all are followers of something. But we need to be careful to ask, who are we following and where are we being led? Particularly within the realm of bad shepherds. They don't need to be religious leaders, you know. It can be anything. It could be anything in this world. It could be your best friend. It could be a politician. It could be a celebrity. It could be a sports team. It could be anything. We need to turn from these are idols to the living God, Jesus Christ himself, the good shepherd who knows his followers, nourishes and secures his followers and even, even dies for his followers. This is exactly what we see in part three from verse 11 and following. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the message that that is right at the heart of Christianity, you have to understand. That right at the heart of the message of Christianity is not, it's not a sad story of a good man tragically misunderstood and against his will executed in his prime. That's not the message of Christianity. The heart of Christian message is a glorious story of the God-man Jesus Christ who willingly laid down his life for the sake of a world that is lost for the sake of endangered sheep like us. And Jesus in this text is so emphatic in helping us understand that he is going to lay down his life. He is literally going to die in the place of his sheep. He emphasizes four times in eight verses. We've already seen in verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He repeats the same phrase or the phrase at least in some form. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life. Verse 18, I lay, it of, I lay it down of my own accord. What is Jesus showing us here? I suppose in the first instance, he's showing us the extent of his authority. The extent of his authority. Someone asked me today, why is there such a huge portion of John given to this interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders in John 9 and into John 10? It's a good question. I mean, you had a section earlier on in John 6 where Jesus was walking on water and what was it, 9, 10 verses? What's so significant about this? Well, I think it's significant because of what comes after it in John 11. Because in John 11, Jesus Christ raises a dead man from the grave. He raises Lazarus up. And the bad shepherds at that time will say, well, the whole world is following Jesus. Enough's enough. We're going to have to kill him. We're going to kill him. And I think if Jesus was killed by them without saying that he himself was to lay down his life for the sheep and to do it of his own accord, so in other words, to do so willingly, well, we might end up thinking, well, things are, this is a terrible tragedy. Things, are, things were going so well for this Jesus until they killed him. <laughs> but we're left in no mistake, are we? <laughs> Reading this section in John chapter 10, all of this is going to happen. Because he is utterly in control when it comes to this thing called the cross. When it comes to him dying, 
He lays down his life of his own accord. So we can't get to the point after John 11 and say, ah, what a shame. No, we can say, glory to God, Jesus willingly, willingly laid down his life for his sheep. And that accents and emphasizes for us the significance of the cross, which shows us really the second thing here, the extent of his love. By dying in the place of sinners. Brian Chapel writes a, a story that I thought I would share with you tonight about two brothers who decided to play on the, ta- the sandbanks and the edge of a river in his town. Uh, um, because the town relied on the river for commerce, there was generally lots of dredgers going up and down who would just uh, pick up the sand and, and dump it on the, the side in great mountains uh, by the side of the river. And although there were, to, to the children at the time, there were, there were so many things that were, that, that were enjoyable, uh, enjoyable about playing on these massive sand mounds, and yet there, was, there were a few things that were more dangerous, actually. Because while the sand is still soaked in the river's water, when the dredgers dump it on the shore, the sands can dry with rigid crusts and leave some internal voids. And two brothers who were playing on these one day did not return home when they were expected and there was a search party organized. Eventually they found the youngest brother with his head and shoulders visible above the sand and he was unconscious because of the pressure of the sand on his body and as they dug frantically to get him out they they cleared the sand, they managed to rouse him to ask him the question they all wanted to ask where is your brother and the younger brother said I'm standing on his shoulders with the sacrifice of his own life the older brother had rescued the younger brother and lifted him to safety he laid down his life for his brother friends I need to make this absolutely clear I don't use an illustration like this lightly it paints a picture of a sad tragedy but I do use it in all seriousness to make it clear to you that this is a kind of self-sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ the son of God for his sheep To the extent that that young boy could then say in later years, I'm alive because of what my brother did for me. And by the same token, we who have trusted in Jesus and asked him to forgive us our sins and believed in his name can also say, I'm alive today because of what he did for me. And every day in eternity, surely we'll rehearse it. I am here because of what he did for me I'm alive because he gave himself that I might live it doesn't end there though does it the good shepherd truly Jesus Christ lays down his life at Calvary dies in our place paying the penalty for our sin averting God's wrath from us and taking it on himself he doesn't just lay down his life that would leave a a shepherdless flock again, wouldn't it? And we already know that's a bad thing. 
Verse 17, I lay down my life only to take it up again. 18, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. Praise God, it doesn't end there. Three days later, he rises from the dead, assuring us that the penalty that he paid on Calvary those days before was accepted by God the Father and that those who truly trust in him can know the assurance of forgiveness and the assurance of life as they are led by him, the great shepherd. But he is also raised not just to give us that assurance, but to fulfill his wider mission. Driven by his love for other lost sheep who are not of this fold. Remember he mentioned this fold at the time he was talking in the context was Israel. He has sheep of many other folds from many other people groups in the world, many other nations. Because he didn't just come to the world to lay down his life for only a few Jewish disciples in Israel that he would call out. He has other sheep who are not of that fold. He has sheep, as we see in Acts, in Antioch, and Athens, and Rome, and as we see throughout the ages in Cairo, and Jakarta, and Beijing, Calcutta, Tehran, Edinburgh, he comes that we might live and that we who were not of that fold may hear his voice calling, may go out to him in faith and may be led towards the glory of his presence, seeing his face forever. as part of that one fold under the care and the leadership of one shepherd, Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and you're not a believer, stop following the bad shepherds of this world and come to Jesus Christ for security, for safety, for salvation, for true satisfaction. He is the shepherd, the good shepherd, who will lead us on to a greater knowledge of him and a greater relationship with him. Let's pray together.